Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And this week we have a, an old friend who's been with us a number of times, Patrick Woody. And Patrick is the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, one of the most important jobs in the state of North Carolina because as we've talked about many times, North Carolina really doesn't need a lot of help as far as economic development when you're in in Wake County or Durham County or Alamance County or Guilford or all that uh, Crescent area all the way around to Charlotte and certain other segments. But we've got about 80 counties in North Carolina that are not so blessed with those wonderful opportunities that those 20 counties have. And so uh, in the wisdom of a lot of folks, the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center was created. And as I said, Patrick Woody is the president. So Patrick, I, that was a long introduction for you, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, we're delighted to have you back. And uh, so tell us, uh, sort of give us an update on uh, where we stand right now in these uh, 80 plus counties that you deal with so so often and so frequently. Well, it's, it's really good to be back with you. Um so our work is uh, pretty exciting these days. There's a lot going on. Uh, I think in general, no matter where you are in rural North Carolina, you're probably um, doing a little better than, than maybe you did five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, we, we do see some marginal improvements. We also see um, dollars, federal and state investments in particular that are headed at, at that are um, directed toward the, the biggest challenges and also the biggest opportunities that rural communities face, whether it's infrastructure and really all types, broadband, water, sewer, uh, road maintenance, bridges, um, all of those kind of things are seeing investment. Uh, our communities are seeing investment. That's a good thing. I get asked all the time, how's rural North Carolina doing? And, and my standard answer is it really depends upon where you're talking about in rural North Carolina. We're a very diverse state um, and uh, and it's it's different uh, depending upon what part of the state you're in. Yeah. And of course, you come from Allegheny County where in your background was. I do. You served on the Allegheny County Board of Commissioners, and you also were the executive director of the Allegheny County Chamber of Commerce. So you understand those smaller counties, those uh, counties that don't have, as I said, the uh, the blessings that uh, some of the, the Piedmont Triad counties have and some uh, counties like Pitt County and New Hanover and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so that gave you a great background. So uh, what, what are the... Let, let's talk first of all about some successes that are going on in certain counties, and then we'll talk about the the problems that uh, the uh, uh, more depressed counties have. So, first of all, what successes are you having that you can talk about that are specific in nature with regards to economic development in in some of these eighty plus counties? Well, one thing that's really interesting to us and a trend that we're watching uh, for the for the last two years. Rural America and rural North Carolina is actually growing, and that's after uh, that's actually after a, a few decades of uh, population loss. In fact, that's one of the common um, points that we have to correct when we're talking to an audience that maybe doesn't know rural so well. 
is not every place is losing population. So we, uh, among um, the top five fastest growing counties in the state of North Carolina are all rural counties. And they have something in common. They're all adjacent to a big urban metropolitan area. And that's really what's driving that growth as it moves out. You know, you see it uh, in Johnston County, Chatham County, Brunswick, Pender, down around Wilmington, uh, Henderson, um, and other other places around the state that are sort of adjacent to a, to a big urban uh, city or, or a driver, a larger community. But it is true that 53 of our 100 counties between the 2010 and 2020 census lost population. Uh, the, but the point to really make there is a lot of that population loss was very minor in, in most of those 53 counties. And population loss was really concentrated in about 15 or 16 counties, predominantly in northeastern North Carolina and southeastern Sand Hills, North Carolina. So those are the places we worry about. One thing we're seeing uh, in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic, and one of the reasons why we think this, this we're seeing population growth at the state level again, is um, just the tendency of people in the aftermath of the pandemic to, everybody's rethinking what work means, what their priorities are in terms of family and life, and some are making a decision to move to uh, less dense places, more rural places. And we see some communities really that are tailoring their economic development program at a local and regional level to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and we don't believe that every place, every rural place will see those benefits. But certainly if you're, if you're a rural place and you have a good school system, a good local hospital, healthcare delivery system, and if you have robust broadband, then you're positioned pretty well in this post-pandemic world for um, just to, to pick up some population and see some investment. Well, it is interesting uh, how COVID uh, and the COVID crisis changed the way a lot of people think about how they work, where they work, and what their uh, future objectives are. That's kind of interesting. Uh, of course, you know, the other thing that happens is uh, these more popular areas for industry uh, are beginning to fill up. I mean, the, the uh, yeah. uh, big sites are disappearing. And, of course, what happens when you have one that locates on the fringe, it affects the counties. For example, the Vincrest Automotive announcement is going to have a big impact on probably, what, 10 of, 10 of your counties? Oh, absolutely. Um we just did a leadership development training. We do a regional leadership development pro program called Homegrown Leaders. And just uh, we just graduated a class of 35 that included um, all those counties you just mentioned, sort of the central south of the triangle, south of the Piedmont triad. Uh, uh, region and it, that you know, ten years from now, you're not going to recognize uh, some of those counties because of the level of investment. Uh, I mentioned Chatham. We used to put Chatham in that category of counties that were um, uh, very much one part of the county was uh, oriented toward the metropolitan area, and the other part of the county was as rural as it had ever been. 
But take Chatham, for example, uh, last year alone, $9 billion in new investment was announced and 9,000 new jobs. And it's coming fast and um, it's, it's going to make a big difference. And one of the challenges those communities are going to have is, is trying to control growth and trying to grow in a way that, that, that they want to and in a way that, that they will know their community um, in, in 10 years. And they're really trying hard to do that. I had a chance to talk to many of them uh, this week. But it's going to allow those rural counties that are south of the uh, Triangle and south of the Piedmont tri Triad, their, their people are really going to have workforce opportunities. And beyond and that, also, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that, but that also creates a problem because now they're going to have to, they are going to, have to advance the money for the infrastructure. Where, where does that money come from? A lot of different. So some of the money's been appropriated. Some, you know, there's different ways in which that infrastructure gets paid for, and but it's beginning to go in the ground and and beginning to be built out. Um, so you're going to see really uh, remarkable, um, and, and for some people, quite honestly, it'll be scary change in, in a few of those counties. But there is real economic opportunity in those from what's happening in those counties that's going to flow out to other rural parts of the state. Um, and what we see is the opportunity to build out. We've, we've made really good choices in the companies we've been attracting because they're up and coming new sector, new economic sectors uh, like clean energy, electric vehicles, microchips, um, and those are going to be long-term good investments. And there's going to be a lot of supply chains. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for smaller companies to sell to those companies. And if we're doing our job, we've got to take advantage of that. And that means small site development, small building development in, in more rural parts of the state and opportunities for existing rural businesses in, in manufacturing uh, to take advantage of, of some of those business opportunities. Well, of course, long range, the increase in the tax base of these counties is going to allow them to do all sorts of things because, uh, you know, when a $9 billion worth of investment comes in, that's bound to increase the tax base. Right, exactly. Uh, you're going to see tremendous growth in the, in the tax base. So it's a short-term problem, long-term solution. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see Go ahead. You're, you're going to see tremendous pressure put on existing infrastructure as, as, as they try to keep pace with the, the growth that occurs. Yeah. So uh, as these counties sort of make that transition, what is their number one problem? How, what, uh, uh, yeah. And how? Yeah. Go ahead. So I think there's several things and we see some real common denominators. We determine the top issues that we work on based upon um, the feedback that we get from rural leaders on the ground. And it's pretty clear uh, we've still got a long way to go for, for in this state to uh, achieve last mile broadband to every home and every business that needs it. Robust, high-speed, affordable broadband is still a big issue depending upon where you are. 
And over the next uh, three to five years, there's about $3 billion in federal and state money from all sources, and there's multiple funding sources that are coming to North Carolina and mostly to rural North Carolina to solve that last mile broadband problem. And uh, that's a great opportunity. It's one we're trying to help our more, um, our smaller rural communities make sure they're not left behind and take advantage of that. Um, and this is private infrastructure. So broadband's different from water and sewer and roads and, and things like that. And we, we're really trying to equip uh, the, the leadership of smaller counties to understand and know how to really negotiate and deal with the companies that are going to be building last mile uh, broadband um, in, in the isolated parts of the state. We're really excited about that. Um, well, and with good reason. And broadband not only helps in business, but it also uh, covers a lot of the concerns about uh, health care in those areas. Our guest and, is Patrick Woody. Education. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation and learn more about the work of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. We'll be back right after these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, Patrick Woody. Patrick, you said something in the first segment that I thought was kind of interesting and wanted to follow up on it because one of the problems, of course, of the uh, economically depressed counties is keeping and attracting young people to live in those counties. And you mentioned a project you call Homegrown Talent. I think that's interesting. But overall, let's just talk about that problem because uh, it's it's sort of a brain drain and, and uh, it's, it's something that I'm sure will hinder progress. Uh, how are you working to solve that problem in some of the counties? Well, really by encouraging counties to be really intentional about the, the way in which they interact with young people uh, and young people of all ages, they come up in a community. Um, 
we have some big, you know, common problems uh, just because we're less populated, we have less dense population. Um, we have some persistent challenges in rural communities. And one of those is leadership. Um, it's very common that you, you find yourself as a rural leader sitting around a lot of different tables and wearing several hats. And you look around the table and you go from one nonprofit to one civic organization to a local government, and you look around the table and it's the same people sitting there and you're getting older and older. Um, and so what we really encourage people to do is be more engaging of their young people and it, to invite them in to opportunities to get uh, involved in the civic life of their communities uh, at younger and younger ages. The other thing that I think we can be much more intentional about is by really focusing on the, the real job opportunity, career opportunities that exist that, that represent good paying job sectors, job sectors that allow you to move up to higher, higher wage positions within those sectors. And, and get kids and their parents to really understand that and to, to know they can go away to a, and they should experience another place in a metropolitan area. But to have the option, if they want to, and many do, to go back home and to do work that's really meaningful and that will pay them well. Uh, we have a, a desperate need in our healthcare sector. And no matter where you plant your feet in North Carolina, you've got career opportunities in, in that particular job sector. Um, we need teachers, we need uh, manufacturing, you know, we need more workers in advanced manufacturing. We need more people, skilled tradespeople uh, that can also own and operate and control their own business um, and, 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 and do plumbing and electricity, electricians and HVAC and all of those things. There's a real need in rural parts of the state for things like that. And there are good career opportunities. I think we're not intentional enough about making sure kids and their parents really understand what those opportunities are. And of course, the uh, one of the opportunities of living in those areas is low cost of living. I mean, it's just a you know when you when you move to the big city you find out how how fast you find out why you need to make more money just to <laughs> enjoy the same standard of living yeah well it, you know and country life is not for everyone and big city life is not for everyone and that's what makes people so interesting but but there are you know there are people that want to be in rural places and that like their hometown. I you know you don't meet rural people that don't love their place, the place that they're from, and and you've got a lot of people that are really invested at making those places better. Um, and what we do see is as um, there's been a trend for years of people returning to rural communities either after they retire or they come back home to take care of elderly parents and they end up staying and having a whole second life back home in the place that perhaps they thought they would never return to. Um, and, and what we do see about those older folks that return, whether they're brand new or they are truly returning as people that were raised there, 
they get involved um, and they get very active in their community. And, and that really helps, you know, re refresh our, our leadership base. Well, I go to a fairly large church and uh, our church has more members than I think two counties in the state of North Carolina. And from time to time, I sit around and say, wait a minute, how can you run an entire county with that small population? Because you've got to have a school system. You've got to yeah. have a sheriff's department. I mean, there's certain things that you absolutely have to have. That's right. So those counties really have some challenging problems. And uh, of they course, uh, and yeah. And one of the ways that we really um, train leaders to think about how to solve those problems in a way that'll be sustainable, we need it in, in the rural parts of the state. And the more rural you are, the more important this is to forget about the cross county line football rivalries and really look at ways we can solve common problems and challenges in a regional framework. So whether it's education, whether it's water and sewer infrastructure, whatever the issue may be, can we take a more regional consolidated approach to addressing those issues so that we get the economies of scale and we get the capacity that's going to make the effort sustainable? And th that's something I believe we will see more and more of as we move forward into the future. Uh, but it does require kind of recalibrating your thinking. Um, everybody's kind of competitive by nature and, and, and nothing's more competitive than the than those high school rivalries that you grew up with. We need to move beyond that to look at ways in which a region can really work together to solve and, you know, to, to meet opportunity and solve challenges. There was a great author in Charlotte years ago in the 60s that said that he had never met an individual he didn't like, but he had never met a group of people that he could stand. <laughs> we do sort of, I always thought that was just great uh, perspective because uh, we do allow things like athletic rivalries to, uh, to taint our thinking sometimes. And the picture is so much bigger than that, especially in the smaller counties. I'm just guessing that one of your big allies and working on these problems is the community college system, which is one of our crown jewels in the state of North Carolina. It is a crown jewel. It is one of the most important anchor institutions in rural places, rural communities. That network of 58 community colleges, no matter where you are, you're not far from either the main campus or, or a local campus of one of those 58 community colleges. And when it comes, so one of the things we know about the future is that every job, whatever it is, entry level jobs in any sector require more and more skills. And so we used to, in our work, measure success uh, by high school graduation rates. And that doesn't get it anymore. We've got, we need every uh, person in the workforce from, you know, 18 to, to ever how long they stay in the workforce to be really committed to lifelong learning. They're probably going to switch jobs multiple times. They're going to have multiple careers. They're going to need that training and education, and they're definitely going to need more than a high school diploma. It may not be a four-year degree. It may not be an advanced degree. It may be an industry certification that they can get through a community college. 
It may be an associate degree from a community college, but educational attainment for every working age adult is a necessity. Um, we applaud, and one of our uh, partners that we're big fans of their work is My Future NC, very focused in the very rural parts of this state and everywhere else on moving those numbers up in terms of getting more people in the 18 to 64 age group with higher education credentials. North Carolina has also suddenly become a real target. Yeah, I think it's always had this uh, term to some degree. But all of a sudden, we are finding more and more people looking to, to retire in North Carolina. Yeah. Are they selecting some of these counties? And uh, that should bring some, some leadership into the county. Absolutely, it does. Um, and it's not every county that sees that in an equal way. But uh, particularly the western uh, mountain counties, foothill counties of western North Carolina, definitely the coastal counties, uh, Brunswick County, very rural county adjacent to Wilmington, not nearly as rural as it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, is uh, among the fastest growing counties in the United States. Um, and so people are, and, and you look at where are those folks coming from? Well, they're mostly coming from the eastern seaboard, somewhere on the eastern seaboard, and they're relocating um, to, uh, to Brunswick. And there are many counties that, that are similar to that and like that. And you do absolutely see people are making much, much more sophisticated and deliberate decisions about where they retire to or where they choose uh, to go for maybe a second part of their their life, and um, and, and they're 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 deliberate about picking that place. And once they get there, that they are usually pretty interested in getting involved, and that does reinvigorate communities to some extent. We also have, of course, big uh, dependence in North Carolina on the military, and military retirees are beginning. Uh, coming back to North Carolina in larger numbers, or at least it seems that way to me. Oh, definitely. And we see that we do a lot of work in uh, around small business financing. And one of our greatest opportunities is to help veterans who are exiting the military in North Carolina, want to stay in North Carolina, how to help them start a small business. Uh, start that second or next phase uh, of their life or career, uh, veterans uh, and, and our opportunity there is one of our greatest assets because they, I mean, talk about great uh, potential members of the workforce, uh, but, you know, they're, they often will be preferred candidates for job openings and, and there's a lot of opportunity there. Well, you mentioned the other uh, problem of uh recruiting medical uh, personnel and also teachers to smaller counties. That's, that, that is a challenge and I'm sure that's a problem. Yeah, it is. Um, and if you look at the differences between, so this is fascinating to me, but actually all 100 counties in the state of North Carolina qualify in at least one category as a healthcare shortage area. And the problem in our rural counties is multiple uh, categories, primary care physicians, nurses, uh, physician assistants, uh, dentists, go down the list, and particular, particularly uh, mental health providers. 
uh, are particular uh, troublesome spots for our rural communities. So we have to be very intentional about that. These are great career opportunities. Uh, they are, and they're great um, once you're in that sector at, a, at, say, an entry level. There's pretty defined career pathways. And oftentimes your employer will actually pay for or help pay for your education to move upward uh, within uh, the same organization. So we do see those as real um, opportunities. The, the best news we've seen in a long time, and maybe we can talk about that in a, in a, a little more, is around the expansion of, um, of Medicaid and what that's going to mean for our state. Our guest is Patrick Woody, and we will be back with more as he discusses the role of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. Stay tuned. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Back on Carolina Newsmakers with Patrick Woody, president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. Patrick, uh, before we start talking about uh, uh, the Small Business Policy Task Force and the Small Business Coalition and the Corner Square Community Capital, which I wanted to talk about in this segment, let's talk a little bit about you and, and your family. How did you get interested in this type of work? What what uh, led you to believe that this is something that you wanted to spend the rest of your life doing? Well, I, I guess you're going to spend the rest of your life doing it. I do. I, I love what I do. Uh, it certainly has its challenges, uh, as every as every career does. But you know, my interest really comes from um, I, I grew up in a place that that I loved. As, as I mentioned, most people I think love their place, and and that place was Piney Creek in Allegheny. County in the northwestern mountains of the county, about uh, two miles from the New River and the Virginia state line near the midpoint of the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I grew up with extraordinary parents, a dad who was a school teacher for 35 years um, and taught business development courses and a mom and a mom who worked for 42 years uh, in a, a textile plant. Uh, and and was the HR director in in a textile plant in Sparta, 
And I just grew up around that. I went off to school like kids do. And I, I went not too far away intentionally to Winston-Salem, to Wake Forest, and, and um, went through college, went through law school, and really in, in law school started having a conversation with myself about what do I want to do and where do I want to go? And I wanted to go home and I didn't want to go home to a, to a traditional small town law practice. And so through a lot of fortuitous circumstances, I'm, I met Tom Lambeth and Valeria Lee and Joe Kilpatrick at the Z Smith Reynolds Foundation and started learning about economic development and nonprofits and decided on a whim almost, and I'm sure to the chagrin of my parents, to um, to um, take a, a first ever position as the first paid full-time director of the Chamber of Commerce in, in my hometown and home county, Allegheny County, and the first paid economic d development director. I guess I've got an entrepreneurial spirit, and, and uh, I did that for seven years. We had a lot of success uh, and, and, and increased investment, increased jobs uh, that's made a real difference. And I love the work. And in the course of doing that, I was introduced to the North Carolina Rural Center and to my predecessor, Billy Ray Hall. And I went through the Rural Center's leadership development program in the mid 1990s, uh, learned that I wasn't the only one in the state of North Carolina trying to do the things and make my rural community better and doing the things I was trying to do, that there were a lot of other people like that. So it really allowed me to build a, a network across the state, get to know people, um, I had the opportunity to serve for a while on the Rural Center Board of Directors and, and be among the two youngest members of that 50-member Board of Directors back then. Um, and then in, in 2006, I had the opportunity to join the staff as the Vice President of Programs. And the Rural Center has been a part of my life for um, 30 years, and I've, I've worked there 16 and I'll have to say, I haven't loved every minute of it, but I've never doubted it was the place for me. Did you say Tiny Creek? Tiny, as in a pine Tiny, tree. okay. Yeah. Well, that's, okay. Uh, I was talking to someone from the mountains the other day. I love the names that they assign to various things in the mountains. They're far more creative. And I was talking <laughs> to someone who lived on Upper Pig Pen Road. Okay. And I said, how did that name come up? And he said, I don't know. But he said, there is a lower pig pen road. So I, I, had one, I love the way they named the roads. I had Let's one talk a little bit about the Small Business Policy Task Force. Uh, I noticed that's on my notes that Jason has given me. Tell me about that. Yeah, so, um, and this really occurred during the pandemic. We convened a statewide uh, task force of, of small business owners and small business um, technical assistance providers, uh, a lot of a cross-section of people from that small business um, ecosystem. And the reason we did it is because small businesses have a particular importance to rural North Carolina. They're important to our entire state and every part of our state, but in, in rural parts of our state, they're even more important because a higher percentage of our businesses come from those smaller, those smaller businesses. 75% uh, of all business establishments in rural North Carolina have fewer than 10 employees. 
So it's a major employment sector. Uh, there's a lot of uh, diversity um, across what what makes up that small business uh, sector. And it's one that doesn't get a lot of focused attention. It's not, as I call it, the sexy part of economic development. It doesn't necessarily make the headlines, but it's those businesses that are already there uh, that have the potential to grow into bigger businesses over time. And it's those new startups that are just getting started that uh, that are really going to make up the majority of new jobs created in rural communities. And we think there's an opportunity to, to do a better job at a state level at focusing attention and resources on small businesses. And that, and we set out to do that with the development of a, a, a small business policy agenda. And in the spring of, uh, or January of, of 2021, that task force unanimously adopted a 22 point policy agenda that we went to the General Assembly and we went to work on. And we had a lot of success. We found members on both sides of the aisle and in both houses of the General Assembly to be pretty receptive to that small business uh, message, particularly when you start sharing the data and, and really telling the story of what that impact looks like. And the biggest problem is that small business owners don't necessarily know the resources available to them, and many of them are free. Um, and so we need to build a stronger small business ecosystem across the state and that should be a priority, an economic development priority for the state, just as our recruitment effort is an economic development priority for the state. And I'm glad to say we found good traction for that argument. Uh, you know, people forget that when a company that has maybe 10 employees adds five, that's a 50% increase. That's right. <laughs> and, that's exactly right. Yeah, you know, all companies were small at one time. But, you know, uh, we look at one of the giants of business today, Amazon, and we remember even when they were uh, about 10 years ago, they just sold books. That's all they sold. That's exactly right. <laughs> so uh, there is plenty of opportunity. Tell me about the Cornish Square Community Capital. Well, one of the parts, one, one of uh, one thing that is increasingly important to small businesses are, are CDFIs, and CDFIs are community development financial institutions. They are nonprofits that are certified by U.S. Treasury, um, and they're not all not all CDFIs do small business lending, but uh, a lot of them do. And we have our own CDFI at the Rural Center called Thread Capital. And we do all of our direct lending to small businesses through that CDFI. There's about nine small business CDFIs across North Carolina. And increasingly, particularly in the aftermath of the Great Recession, so going all the way back to 2009 to 2010, CDFIs are increasingly important and are the first source of capital for many small business startups. And as time has gone on, we see them playing a ever increasing role in that. So Corner Square gave us an opportunity the first time in the 36 year history of the Rural Center that we established a program that would serve not only North Carolina, but the entire southeastern United States. 
And it's a partnership between the North Carolina Rural Center and uh, Truist Bank. And, uh, and it is a, a very simple pr a program where we purchase loan pr participations. We will buy a percentage of small business loans from a CDFI uh, located in, in the Southeastern United States, basically the 17 states that make up the Truist footprint. And that does a couple of things. It de-risks the lending portfolio and makes those CDFIs more sustainable. And the second thing it does is it immediately returns capital to the pocket of the CDFI so that they can turn around and do more small business lending. So the purpose is really to build a stronger CDFI um, ecosystem in the South, which has one of the weakest in the country. And we think we found a really good program design. We think we found a really good corporate partner and truest. Um, and I'm glad to say we have about 21 or so uh, CDFIs that are signed up and, and, and we're purchasing loans from them as they make those loans. Interesting. Before I forget, uh, uh, let me also ask you about uh, inflation. We are obviously in a period of inflation. Everyone knows that. We see it at uh, the grocery store. We see it at the gas pump and so forth. How is that affecting the uh, development of rural counties? Well, it's affecting them just like it affects everybody else. Uh, you know, we have also seen some wage gains. Um, inflation is outpacing that a little bit not by a lot, but the last numbers I looked at, um, inflation was still outpacing income increases, but we went for decades in rural communities with seeing wage growth flat or declining. And the interesting thing about job growth in, in rural North Carolina is we're still working our way back to where we were at the turn of the 21st century. Um, it, uh, urban North Carolina rebounded really quickly after the, the Great Recession. By 2013, they were back to their baseline uh, employment level. Uh, same in suburban, took them a little longer, is about 2017 or 2018. Uh, rural is on the uptick, but we're still in, in pure raw job numbers. We're still below where we were in 2000. And that's a problem, uh, but it's good to see uh, wage growth happening, but we really do need to see the Fed be successful in bringing inflation under control because that's counterproductive. Well, obviously inflation affects everyone in, in different ways, but uh, anytime you have anything that causes a, a hiccup in the system, it does affect the uh, the plans that you have and how you're going to address uh, the problems they have. That's, that's very interesting that uh, we are making a little bit of progress. And of course, North Carolina also saw the end of a lot of industry that was in small towns. Like that's exactly industry. right. That's right. And and so if you look at if you really break it down by job sector, where, where did that job loss come from? By far, the, the greatest a uh, percentage of job loss came in the manufacturing sector. And the manufacturing sector has really rebounded pretty strongly. And it, it has always been for many decades, the highest paying job sector um, of the economy. 
still is, but the nature of that manufacturing has totally changed. It's much more automated. Uh, it requires less human labor and it requires the human labor that, that is there to be more highly skilled and, and more highly trained. So we're not going to replace job for job, the manufacturing job. We lost 350,000 jobs in the first 12 years of, of the 21st uh, century. We made up a lot of ground, but we still got uh, a ways to go. Patrick Rudy is our guest. We have one final segment on uh, Carolina Newsmakers this week. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And as I said, we'll be back after we take a break and sort of wrap things up and also give you the insight on how you can get more information about the Rural Center. Stay tuned. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Patrick Woody is our guest. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And uh, actually, uh, Patrick, I'm very impressed with all the good news that you've had. You've had far more good news than you've had bad news. And it, it sounds really good, and that's that's great because uh, uh, we, uh, as we opened the program, we talked about the 20 or so counties that are are so blessed to have such dynamic growth, and then we've got uh, 75 or so counties that uh, uh, some of which are bordering those counties, and they're beginning to do well, but we still have some depressed counties. Well, uh, before I forget, let's uh, take just a moment for you to give the information where people can get in touch with you and find out about all the different programs that the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center does. So if you will give it to us once, and then uh, a little later on in the program, we'll ask you to repeat it just in case people didn't have a pencil or paper handy when you gave it the first time. So sure. how do they get in touch with you? How do they find the, out about you? The best way to find out about the, the Rural Center and everything that we do in our programming is to go to our website, www.ncruralcenter.org. And that is .org. Of course, you can also just search and probably find the same thing. Yeah. Uh, that's good. 
So let's talk just a little bit about what happened to us in COVID. One of the great lessons, and you, you alluded to a little of this when we began the program, what were the lessons that we learned and how has COVID and the resulting period of, of the economy and how people live and their standard of living and so forth, how's it been affected the last couple of years as we have rebounded from that uh, that uh, terrible year where we were just basically shut down? Yeah, it's it's affected us. It's affected every life in almost every way. Uh, it's had a really profound impact. And as we've really looked at a lot of different areas and, and the impact that it did have, we see that there's both really, there's some really good news there and there's some not so good news there. Um, and among the not so good news, if you look at the death rate from uh, COVID, um, going all the way back to 2020 and really the very beginning of the pandemic, the rural death rate is significantly higher than it is in suburban North Carolina or urban North Carolina. And I think really, if you think about it and you look at it, and, and if you know that the rural population skews older uh, toward older citizens and knowing everything that we know about um, the nature of that pandemic, it's not too much of a surprise that the death rate would, would be higher among rural people. And so certainly we did see that. Um, it, so that's one of the, we also lost real ground. You know, I mentioned earlier, educational attainment is critically important. And particularly our school children in, in um, elementary grades, their reading levels uh, really throughout uh, K through 12 suffered. Um, and, and no, no surprise, I don't know how it could have done otherwise. But we've got ground to make up in terms of educational attainment and trying to get these kids really a generation uh, back on track and, and try to make up for, for lost time and, and lost ground. On a good news, I don't know anything other than the pandemic that would have caused the amount of funding to come in to play um, around the issues we care most about. And I mentioned broadband. You know, we have aging infrastructure, whether it's water and sewer or it's roads and bridges um, or it's uh, uh, local facilities um, that are badly in need of updating and repair. And we COVID actually has enabled because we have to get that had to get that economy going again. Uh, we've seen unprecedented uh, resources directed at the things we care about the very most in rural communities. So this is a this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for rural communities to do a lot of uh, moving forward and catching up, and we see that happening. Our fear is that the places that need it the most will be the places that have the hardest time taking advantage of those resources. And so we, along with a lot of other organizations from the Association of County Commissioners to the League of Municipalities, to the regional councils of governments and many others uh, are really focused on trying to help communities connect the dots and take advantage of the resources. And then the final thing is just the, the, the life choices people make. And, and we see that trend toward people coming, moving, returning, 
uh, to to more rural, less densely populated areas, and and that's that's good news. Well, early in the program, you mentioned, of course, the importance of, of broadband and especially the so-called last mile connection and how important that is. So what are the, say, top three other really top priorities that you have for your organization and for the state to move these counties forward? Well, in addition to broadband, in addition to investment in small business development, which we talked about, uh, the next on our the next item on our list would very specifically be Medicaid expansion, and so we were very excited to see uh, a deal, uh, a agreement reached between the leadership of the General Assembly and the governor. And we still need to get to a finished budget, which we're very hopeful that that that's in in the cards and in, in in the future. But Medicaid expansion will mean six hundred thousand mostly working people across the state of North Carolina are going to get insurance coverage that don't have it. And disproportionately, those 600,000 are rural citizens. So it's going to make a huge economic, it's, like, it's the equivalent of rural North Carolina landing VinFast. Uh, it's going to make a huge economic impact on those, on those communities. And it's going to make a huge difference in people's lives that uh, have not been able to afford healthcare to now have access to, 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 to healthcare. It doesn't mean our job is done, but it does mean we're moving in the right direction. Housing, well, every, every rural community has a housing problem, uh, as does urban and suburban communities. Uh, housing looks a little different in rural, but um, that's in another big priority for us. And then finally, the aging water and, and wastewater infrastructure. Uh, it's many in many places. It's years beyond its lifespan, and it's a it's a major concern. Well, that uh, I don't think that anybody has come up with the total amount of money that that's going to be. But that is uh, something. It's a, you pipes we are out, and we're talking about uh, systems that are. A hundred miles, a hundred yeah. years old. It's estimated to be around thirty billion dollars between uh, now and twenty thirty is needed to uh, update and modernize our water and wastewater infrastructure. Well, that brings me to mind that the General Assembly is in session right now. Any other legislation that is uh, being considered that would affect uh, the uh, rural center? Yeah. Yes, many priorities are, are active. Let me just say they made all the right investments, decisions uh, with the budget that they passed and the governor signed in 2021. We applauded that as, uh, as really smart long-term investments. And we, we don't, we're not great at long-term. I think we'll see some tweaking this year and we'll see some additional things like Medicaid expansion come into play that we're advocating and working hard on that are that are going to make a real difference in a lot of rural people's lives. We, you know, as we look around, we see change being the thing that's that's really the driving force in our state. And, and it's also true for our rural communities. And we focused our annual conference uh, on uh, the forces that are driving change in rural communities. We had a lot of success with that. About 650 people from 84 counties participated in the Rural Summit back in March. 
And in May, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a 12, um, a 12 town uh, summer tour where we really take those drivers of change to a community level to have conversations and listening sessions around how those drivers show up at a local level in, in 12 different towns around rural North Carolina. And we're excited about that. And you can find out all about that at our website, ncruralcenter.org. Well, I was just getting ready to say, I was going to ask <laughs> you to repeat that. So you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, well, that's interesting. Let's, uh, you mentioned the importance of, of, of broadband several times. What's the timetable that we expect to have broadband virtually everywhere? So it, it'll take several years for the, the funding to flow through and the projects to get constructed. At the end of the day, this is construction. Um, with the first big um, slug of money that's already been announced by the state um, is soon going to be dispersed and construction is going to begin on those projects. There are two more pro programs that will then roll out, one this fall, one early next year, that will be additional gap fillers uh, for, for many places. And um, we're, we're pretty optimistic, cautiously optimistic, concerned, want to certainly be attuned to any problems that we see and try to fix those as we go. The other thing I would say is getting the infrastructure there is only one third of the battle. Um, the, it, we've got to get it there. We've got to get last mile broadband in place, but we've also got to make sure people can afford it. And, and there's a great me mechanism for doing that long term that'll make a big difference for people. We also need to make sure that every citizen knows how to use it and why it's important and how it can make their life better. So there's a lot of digital literacy work that needs to be done, particularly with older uh, citizens uh, that may not be as comfortable with, with the technology. So we're going to have years, even after we solve the infrastructure problem, we're going to have years of work to do in terms of, of the equity uh, and, and, and allowing people to really take advantage of, of broadband and to know how to do that. Well, sometimes that happens a little faster than you think. I mean, some of the older folks like me have adopted a lot of it along the way. Still don't understand how it works, but uh, that's aside from the point. And I'm still looking around for trying to find a telephone booth, but uh, those yeah. don't exist anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we forget the importance of the mobile phone. That's that's a, a part of uh, the new technology. Yeah. Well, Patrick, we certainly appreciate you taking time to be with us and bring us up to date on the work. And uh, there's so many interesting projects that's going on with the Rural Economic Development Center. The program has been produced by Jason Kong. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, that's carolinanewsmakers.com, and uh, hear a repeat of the broadcast. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers.